All right. It is, uh, it's the last Sunday of 2020. <laughs> I knew I'd get that. Um, it's also the third day of Christmas. Now, you remember we were talking about this before, how, how many Christians throughout the centuries have celebrated Christmas tide, like 12 days of Christmas. Now, isn't that super cool that it's not just an annoying song? It's actually some really sweet tradition behind it, <laughs> like 12 days. And I think that's pretty awesome because we just spent the month of December in the mode of Advent, of waiting, you know, and contemplating different shades of, of waiting. And, and, and how then the 25th comes around and it's here, we celebrate. And why should it just end all of a sudden? Like who says it has to end on the 25th? Who's, who made that? Yeah, anyway. So we are going to this morning talk about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Is that okay? Even though it's after the, the 25th because we're still in Christmas tide. And uh, we are going to tie this to the difficulty of 2020. And I want to let you know ahead of time, just to map this out, here's what we're going to do. Okay, just so you're with me. I don't usually do this, but I just want to make sure you're with me here. I'm going to throw a whole bunch of scriptures at you this morning from the Old Testament. Talk about a promise. Then I'm going to talk about the incarnation and, and, and the fulfillment of that promise. And then after that, I'm going to step on your toes. Okay. Please understand, it's entirely on purpose. Okay. But what if, seriously, what if we as your pastors only told you the good stuff? Like, didn't, you know what I mean? That's really not what we're here for. Sometimes, sometimes we need to step on toes, and I'm going to start with this right here, okay? God doesn't always want you to be comfortable. Sometimes he has us do hard things. Sometimes he asks us to go through hard things. Sometimes there are seasons of lack. Sometimes there are seasons of sickness. All of these things. And the reason I need to emphasize that as we begin is, is because we, we major on the goodness of God here, and we make no apologies for that. The very first of our core beliefs that we preached through, what, five or six years ago now, is this. God is a good father. And we firmly believe that and stand by that. But I also know it's possible to take a truth like that and extrapolate things that aren't true, you know? Like, you can get to this whole thing of, like, God's a good father. Therefore, he always only wants me to be happy all the time. God's a good father. Therefore, he never, ever would have me do a hard thing. But as I look through Scripture, I don't see God's people just, like, rolling and, like, blessing all the time. Like, they're going through really difficult things. And it starts here. Well, I'm going to start here. It doesn't start here, but it, I'm going to start with Moses, okay? Here's Moses in this wonderful conversation he has with God in Exodus 3 and 4. It starts in 3. Here's what, well, gosh, I did that last time too. Moses says, come, I will, see, this is God to Moses. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? It's a very good question. We have to picture which Moses we're talking about here. Because it's easy to picture handsome Charlton Heston up there speaking in this wonderful triumphant voice. This is not who we're talking. We're talking about an old man who's a washout and who's full of regret. Moses had been a prince of Egypt, had all this kind of promise, and really, uh, I mean, he blew it. <laughs> 
He could have done something. I'm sure the hopes of the people were on his shoulders, right? But because of his impatience and because of his rage, he gets exiled from Egypt, and all he does for years and years and years is watch sheep and take them all over the wilderness. And now he's an old man, and all he does all day is gets to watch his sheep and think about how he blew it. This is the man God is saying, hey, Moses, I'm sending you to Egypt. Go set my people free. And he's like, who am I? I don't think he's looking for a compliment. But if we were to write the story today as Americans, I think it would go something like this. It would be, he would get a compliment. In fact, he'd get a whole full-blown motivational speech by God. I think if we were to make a movie of it, my guy, Owen Wilson, would be the voice of God. And it would be something like this. Who are you? You're Moses. What do you mean? And, you know, he'd give him, like, build him up, right? And you feel all warm and cuddly inside, and he realized, this is my special purpose, and he'd go and say, whatever. That's the first thing we do. The second thing is we give all kinds of assurances, like, <clears throat> okay, tell me I'm not going to get any, like, Egypt on me. <laughs> okay, just at least tell me I'm not going to, like, tell me, like, it's like I'm going to stay, like, I'm gonna, we're going to stay in, like, good hotels and stuff, right? But at least we'll have good food. At least, you know, God doesn't give me any assurances, except this one. But I will be with you. Did you think this was about you? Dude, this isn't about you. You blew it. I will be with you. This is why you can trust that this is a good plan. I will be with you, even in the midst of lack, even in the midst of all kinds uh, of opposition. I will be with you. Huh? Ah! Moses does it. Now, this refrain, I will be with you, is all over the place in Scripture. All over. So here it is uh, in the Old Testament. I'm just going to throw some scriptures at you, okay? So, Doc, if it comes too close to your head. But here are some. See, here, here are some. Here's one of uh, 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 Isaac, okay? This is Genesis 20. Sojourn in this land, Isaac, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will be with you, Isaac, just like I was with your daddy. And guess what? His boy comes along, Jacob, and what does God say to him? The Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. It's a pretty good promise there. Of course, God is with Moses all those years later, and then you've got Joshua. It takes several. What's Joshua going to do? Because God was with Moses. Oh, but God says, Joshua, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And on and on throughout the Old Testament, we see it. We see it with Gideon. Gideon, the biggest wuss in the Old Testament, right? God says, here, go deliver your people. And he's like, ah, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, well, yeah, but I, I will be with you. It's not a basis of like your greatness or anything. I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. You see this. The promise of God's presence is the reason that they prevail. And over and over again, we see it. We see it also with prophets. We have Jeremiah, who gets appointed as a very young man. 
The Lord said to me, Jeremiah, do not say I am only a youth. Don't hide behind your age. For to all who I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And then to all of Israel, over and over again, two times here in Isaiah, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. He is not promising they won't have to go through waters. He is promising his presence in the midst of every situation. Now, that's just a sampling. But this theme permeates Scripture. There's a a, a Bible scholar named Everett Fox who looked at that that first conversation of of Moses at the burning bush. And uh, he, he, I don't know if you remember this part, I don't don't even have the scripture here, but when when he asks God, um, well, what's your name? Because he says, when I go there, Pharaoh's going to want to know, what's this God's name? And God tells him, I am. Tell him, I am sent you. And scholars have puzzled over that thing, that meaning. Like, I, we, a lot of times we say, I am that I am. And it's been this, like, whoa, deep thing that the Lord said. Well, some of these scholars, started by, by this man, Everett Fox, ha- have suggested this. That by the context of that conversation, and, and because of the common refrain, maybe that statement, I am, wasn't so much about the existence of God, but about the presence of God. In other words, maybe it's not so much I exist, but I am here. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I think this is a strong possibility. Do you know why? Because it mirrors the incarnation so perfectly. See, we get to Christmas here. You remember when when the angel appears to Joseph and he says, Mary's going to conceive and it's going to be a miracle. And then he tells him this, and he, he's referring back to the prophecy of Isaiah. Here's what he tells Joseph. He says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... <sighs> it spills everywhere, you guys. Everywhere. The promise of his presence is everywhere. So why shouldn't the name of God in the New Testament match the name of God in the Old? What I'm saying is this is a bigger deal than I think we've understood or given credit for. The incarnation, you guys, is something uh, that is, 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 is such a big deal. It's it, this thing we've been celebrating over Christmas. It, what it does is it takes that promise that we see scattered all throughout the pages of the Bible and it puts skin on that promise. <laughs> God wasn't just watching his people as a spirit in the sky. He he became flesh and blood. He walks with them. He comes down with us as a people. So that promise that he gives all the way through Scripture, he fulfills in a way I think they never even dreamed. I am with you to this degree. You ever think about 
what a step down Jesus took. He leaves the halls of heaven and he becomes a baby. And not even like a idyllic cabbage patch baby like we get in like Away in a Manger. You know, if you ever think about the lyrics to Away in a Manger, it's kind of funny. The cattle are lowing, the baby awakes, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. Mm -mm. <laughs> Come on, he's a baby. Like, he's a baby. I have <clears throat> helped to raise five babies. They cry. And, and all of the things that a baby experiences, is Jesus ate fr from his mother's body. Jesus soiled his diapers. Jesus probably kept his parents up at night with his incessant screaming. Like, it's just it, right? And he, he grows and a boy and he's probably... You know, run around singing these irritating songs, driving his parents crazy, because that's what little boys do, allegedly. Not mine. <laughs> he pro Jesus had to go through puberty. You ever think about that? His voice drops. He doesn't know what to do. He's super awkward and a little bit angsty. Like <laughs> Jesus becomes a man. He becomes a man. He, he's dealing with everything that we deal with. He's getting splinters from the wood he's working with. He's having to deal with sweat and blood and body odor and exhaustion and temptation. Every way that Jesus was tempted, you and I were tempted. You know what that means? That means Jesus experienced sexual temptation. Is it even okay to say that? Oh, oh, oh he's so holy. I know! It's good theology. Though. That is the degree to which he's with us. Not just hovering above us in some other realm, but he chose to come and be one of us to show us his commitment to, like, wow. And he was so committed that in that body he was arrested, and in that body he was tortured, and in that body he was killed, and in that body he rose again. The incarnation set up the crucifixion, the resurrection. But it didn't do, just do that. It also put a seal on God's promise to accompany you and me through whatever we encounter. Are you with me? When Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave his followers one last message. Here's the very last thing he told them, okay? Right here. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He sends his Spirit to dwell with us in a way that's far more profound and far more personal than even they had in, in, in the, the heroes of old had in the Old Testament. His presence continues on. What does this mean for us? Well, I think it means that whatever we encounter, we have him. And therefore, as Paul says in Romans 8, all things work together for our good. Because he's here. Because he's not 
far away, but he's very, very close. Even the scary things, even the scary things, even the really, really hard years that everything seems out of control, even 2020 can work for our good. You see that? Now, what, what if we actually believe this? I was thinking about this. Like, not just, not just believed it in our, in our heads, but in a, a deeper way. Like, what if we truly latched onto this? What difference would it make? I think one of the things it would do is it would make us better at going through suffering. Because I don't, I don't know about you, but suffering's hard. And I don't think that we're very good at it. Consider the Apostle Paul for a second. This is a man who knew how to suffer. Paul had, the, remember when he read his resume to everybody, and he's like, man, I was, you know, born a Hebrew, circumcised on the eighth day, went to Pharisee school, graduated with honors from Pharisee school, like all that stuff. <laughs> and he also had a resume of suffering. Here's a suffering resume. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the, the, the 40 lashes less one. And he's talking about the Jewish uh, uh, religious authorities, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the scribes. Five times he got 39 lashes from them. That's a big deal because conventional wisdom of the day suggested that 40 lashes would kill a person, so they would give him 39. <laughs> Five times he got that kind of beating. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, <laughs> danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. <laughs> he just keeps going, this poor guy. In toil and in hardship, through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, and apart from other things, uh, there is the daily pressure on me of, of my anxiety for all the churches. Here's Paul. He's saying, I have been through a whole lot of stuff, guys. But what does he do? He just kind of keeps going. <laughs> hey, I was thrown out of that town. That's a bummer. Here, let's go preach the gospel on this one. How? How? I want to do that, you know? Guys, I mean, I've experienced some suffering in my day. I've gone through some hard stuff, and I know you guys have too. I, I don't know anything about this, though, you know? This is a level I just don't understand. I, like, real persecution? Like, I don't understand. I don't think most of us understand that unless you've lived with our friends and Communist Cuba or China or these places. Well, I've been to these places and listened to the stories and listened to how people somehow remained faithful in the midst of, of, of actual physical, grueling suffering and threats and intimidation and murder and, and, and imprisonment and all of these things. And I'm like, I'm baffled by that. And, and I know we, 
you know, it's not like we're in a perfect situation, even here, but we've got, we, we enjoy so many freedoms, guys, that sometimes we, we take for granted. We enjoy so many things, and I know that much of the culture hates what we're doing here and doesn't like us. I know that. I know there are places of religious discrimination. I know that. But I don't dare want to call that persecution. I feel like, I feel it's kind of slap in the face of Paul, you know? And our friends who have actually experienced this kind of thing. I, however, will say this. If we do someday have to experience persecution, I want to do it like this guy. If we do, I hope we can all do it like this guy. I'll tell this story. Remember Philippi. Here's the story. Paul goes to this town called Philippi, and it's a, it's a Roman colony. Now, all of this is in the Roman Empire, but being in Philippi was like being in Rome itself. This meant, I mean, it was already an upper crust place. They had great culture, literature, art. It was just, it was a great place to be, and most of all, they loved them some Rome. And if you, if you were, you know, you're born there, you're automatically a Roman citizen, and Roman citizenship was praised really highly. So this was the place to be. Now here's Paul, who is a Roman citizen, in addition to being a Jew. And he gets this call, this divine call to go to Macedonia, to this town of Philippi. So he goes, and he starts a church with all these ladies that meet down and have this little Bible study. So he starts this church. And he's ministering, and amazing things are happening, and then suddenly he's arrested. Him and Silas. And they're taken to the magistrates there. And the magistrates hear these charges, and they say, oh, dude, this is on now. And they beat them within an inch of their life. That night, Paul and Silas are in stocks at midnight in a dungeon. And what do we find them doing? Not sending emails to their lawyers. Not organizing a march. We find them singing praise to Jesus Christ. You're a good, good father. The song's echoing down the hallway. How could you have such joy in the middle of that? Well, then suddenly an earthquake comes and, and, and everything shakes and their chains break and, and, and they're free and they're about to go, but there's the jailer who's freaking out and they say, hey, 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 like he's about to kill himself. This is like, and he's, don't do that. We're right here. And the man falls on his knees and says, what do I need to do to be saved? And they say, we got just the guy to meet. And that night, the jailer and his entire family meets Jesus Christ and is baptized. The next morning, the, 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 the magistrates come and they're like, uh, what's going on? And here's Paul out of his stocks. He goes, hey guys, I'm a Roman citizen and you guys just beat me without cause. And they freak out because they know they've done something way illegal. And then they're all of a sudden nice to him and ask him to leave and everything in the story ends. Crazy story. But here's the thing that I've just never been able to shake. 
Maybe you've thought of this too. Why didn't Paul tell them he was a Roman before they beat him? He did that in a couple other places. But here, if there was any place they would have respected him and completely dropped their rods and stepped back and said, oh, sir, Paul, what can I, can I order pizza for you? What can I, like they would, have, they would have fallen all over themselves to stop what they were doing. All he needed to do was, oh, Roman. Hi, Roman. Roman! That's it. He didn't. I don't know why. But you know, I have a theory. I have a theory that God nudged him. I have a theory that God nudged him and said, there's something really difficult that I need you to do. Don't tell him. Maybe he did. Maybe he even explained it. Maybe he said, listen, there's a jailer his wife and children that I desperately love. Maybe he said, Paul, I want the church in Philippi and the church throughout the ages to be able to look at your example of how to rejoice in the middle of suffering. But I need you to go through this, son. Whatever the case, Paul's example shows us that all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. You see, if you believe that he really is with you, this changes everything. And I know we can believe it up here, but what about in here? What about in here? And here's where I, I fear I'm gonna step on some toes. But you guys, 2020 has been an incredibly hard year for a lot of people, I get it. And it's led many to the brink of despair. And we, well, as Jesus' people, we have the same hope of his presence, like we carry him with us. But all too often, I have seen the people of God this year let the sorrow get in the way of him. You know? Like, let the fears get in the way. You know when the psalmist was talk, talks about, like, magnify the Lord with me? I love that term, magnify. And now it makes me think of, like, how we make things bigger on our phones. You know, we magnify. Magnify, like, make him bigger. What I've seen a lot of times this year is our tendency to make the bad news bigger or to make our concerns bigger. And suddenly we forget that he's with us. And because he's with us, all things work together for good. And it's very troubling. You guys, I've said this many times. As children of the Most High God, you have permission to lament. You have permission to call out to the Lord and to say, I am struggling. You have permission to ask him, why, God? You have permission to bring all the ugliness that you feel in your heart and all the concerns and all the doubts and to lay them before him. I think he invites that. You have that right. You are 
sons and daughters of the Most High God. But you know what you don't have the right to do? You don't have the right to give up hope. Because hope is never yours. It's his. See, he holds the key to hope. But I have seen more despair in months of people who call upon his name and are just so beaten down. And I wonder, why do you think everything, do you really think the, everything's going to implode? Have you forgotten the presence of God? Have you forgotten the eternal promise, I will be with you? All things work together. But Pastor Jason, you don't have to call me pastor. It's okay. Just call me whatever. What about the global pandemic? People are afraid for their lives. I know. I know. So in the midst of that, we don't despair because he is with us. But what about we're in a pandemic and people are afraid of, for their livelihoods? I know. Yeah. In the middle of it all, we don't despair because he is with us. But what about the loss of civil liberties? I know. In the midst of it, we don't despair because he's with us. Okay, but what about the vaccine that people are making to end the virus and the potential stuff that could happen? Guys, I know, I know. He's with us. We don't despair. What are we not getting here? Okay, okay. Get ready. Pull your toes in. But Pastor Jason, what about President Trump? Guys, we don't despair because he's with us. If he's president and, and, and you're worried about that, don't despair because he is with us. Okay, but what, what, about, what about President Trump not being president anymore? What about President Biden? Pastor Jason! You guys, we do not despair because he is with us. Are you with me? Because I don't know how, when one thing will come up and then, oh, and then it's all done. Oh, everything's going to be done. No, it's not. Have you forgotten that the kingdom of God has been growing and growing? And there have been so many thousands and thousands of leaders and so many governments and so many sicknesses. And all of these things have woven, blown through human history. And yet here we are because Jesus Christ is our king. And all of these things that have hit, I don't, I don't pretend that they're not big deals. And I know we have different concerns, obviously, because I'm expressing different sides of these different issues. And I know people have different concerns all the way across the board. But whatever they are, they do not eclipse the reality of the incarnation and the continued presence of Jesus in our lives. And as Jesus' people, we must sink our toes into his hope. We must. Because the, the world desperately needs that hope. And if we go along with all the concerns and continue to magnify, oh, oh, but what about this? What about this scandal? You guys, he's with us. Maybe we should all just take a step back from it. Take a step back from the bad news and just remember, hey, it's taken us this far. I have been one that this has been a difficult thing for, uh, uh, in, in different times. I remember I was very much feeling despair last fall. And it wasn't because of any of these things. It was because I was going to Cuba with Pastor Joshua and with a whole bunch of people and this big event was happening and I was feeling so very empty um, because we had just lost Janae. And it had been a few months, but 
in dealing with her loss to cancer. She's only 42, I think. And, um, and, and how, how much we all loved her and we're crying out for her healing. And I was just working that out with the Lord and I had just reached this low point of like, oh, God, why didn't you heal Janae? Like we're all crying out for her healing, right? People literally all over the world. And you didn't. And we lost her. I know it's a bit ironic because I had just put out a book months earlier about dealing with unanswered prayer. But I had to go and learn it all over again. What do we do with unanswered prayer? So I'm at this low point. Here we are going to do this big ministry time. And you know what I was dealing with? I was dealing with doubt. Like, do you hear us? Do you have the power to intervene? I say you do, but do I still believe that? And what happens from here? Because when people sometimes get here, like, am I, is my faith just gonna somehow, you know, slip away? And I, I was at this place, and here we are in Havana, Cuba. And we're going to the Karl Marx Theater. And in the Karl Marx Theater, this is a place where the, the church has not been allowed to come there, you know, ever. This is the place where Fidel Castro would stand up on stage and rail on for hours about the glory of the Cuban Revolution. And his regime had been so violent and so oppressive to the church. So here I am in this place where God's doing something. And here they all file in. And I'm standing here with my phone just kind of watching. And more and more people come. And the music starts. And I see these people who have legitimately suffered. Very real persecution. Pastors disappearing, being beaten, being threatened, never allowed any standing at all in the culture, constantly being suppressed. And here they are for the first time, able to come into this hall. And their eyes are filled with tears. And they're weeping. And they got their phones and they're turning like this. They cannot believe that they are allowed in this place to be able to sing praise to Jesus Christ. And I always remember that they sang this song. I'm gonna have the worship team come up because they played it this morning. I've seen you move the mountains and I believe I'll see you do it again. And these who have held on for so long to this little thread of hope that maybe someday God would step in, like maybe something would happen. Maybe he would make all this work to good. And I saw them worshiping after they had dealt with so much pain that I can't even imagine. And something broke in my heart. Something, something, God did, he did a healing work here. Because sometimes the only way to see it is to see suffering people holding on to the goodness of Jesus Christ. And I saw that, and I thought, you know what? I don't know what the answer is. I don't know why God didn't heal Janae, but I know that all things work together for good. And I know that in the midst of this, He is with me. And this is where we find ourselves. He is with us. Do you believe that all things work together for good? I believe, here's what I think. I think God's gonna make some beautiful things out of a really bad year. 
You, you know, a couple of things I think are going to happen. Here's what I, I, I could be wrong on this. Here's one thing. I, I, I really believe this is going to happen. I believe that, that, that uh, uh, we uh, have a similar thing as the children of Israel had. Remember when they were crying out for quail? And the God's like, fine, here, take quail. And they like gorge themselves on it. That's kind of what I think about isolation and entertainment. I think 2020, people are like, yeah, I don't want people. I just want to be entertained and watch endless Netflix. And I think where everybody's gorged themselves on, on, on endless viewing and on endless entertainment, endless consuming. And I think as the doors begin to open, that, that hunger for something real, like I'm so tired of sugar, I want the real thing, I want family, I want relationship, I want things that matter. I think we're gonna see people return to God who walked away from him. I think we're gonna see people returning to relationship and community that had rejected and walked away. I firmly believe that. I think God is gonna, he's gonna take all of that hunger and all of that ache and he's gonna do something beautiful, even though it's been a hard year, that he's going to turn it for good. But even if that happens, even if that doesn't happen, he will find a way to redeem the hard stuff. He will. Do you know why? Because he's here. <laughs> because he's here in our midst and that's what he does. I'm not sure God knows how to be in a place without redeeming it. This is what Jesus does. He comes in, he starts cleaning stuff up. He comes in and starts healing. Imagine Jesus in a hospital. Imagine telling Jesus, don't touch anyone. <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't even help himself when he was out there. It's like somebody coming and, and cries out for healing and he's like, okay, fine, Shh, don't tell anybody. Like, this, is, this is him. This is what he does. He redeems things and he's in our midst. Do you think he will not redeem this temporal situation? Do you think he will not redeem this difficult year? Friends, he will, because that's what he does. Do you believe it? Then I want to invite you to embrace hope. Embrace the hope of Jesus Christ. Be the people of Jesus who remember him and who magnify him, who enlarge him. Be those people. Can we sing this song together? Can we sing this song together. And we'll remember the words of the psalmist in the 23rd Psalm. And he said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Let's stand.